Whether you're an aspiring music business professional or a seasoned vet, every Thursday, the Music Business Podcast brings you the trends and tactics from some of the world's most innovative minds in music. I'm artist manager and consultant, Jordan Williams. And I'm Sam Heisel, co-founder of the music marketing and content production agency, Knox. We're not teachers. We're entertainment industry professionals, drinkers, wannabe comedians, and most importantly, fans. Welcome to the show. Jordan, what's up, man? How are you feeling? I'm good, Sam. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm very excited about this episode. We got a, a, a special guest from a, just across the pond over in London, UK, Mr. Anton Gorman, the Global Director of Communications at Deezer. Deezer is one of the world's biggest audio and music streaming platforms. They're more well-known in Europe, but are gaining incredible traction worldwide with over 16 million active users in 180 plus countries. In this episode, I really enjoyed being able to dive into Anton's strategy as it pertains to approaching effective communication strategy as a means to drive growth for a company like Deezer. But we also get to speak about some of the initiatives that Deezer is spearheading, such as what I would honestly consider to be their groundbreaking UCPS initiative. UCPS stands for User-Centric Payment System. Uh, and I think this can literally transform artists and label payments to ensure that the money you pay actually goes towards supporting supporting the artists you listen to. So I think they got some really unique innovations to speak to. Jordan, what'd you think? Yeah, I think when I think about a story, I usually think about it from the perspective of an artist communicating that to their community or to their fan base. Um, but Anton is attracted to stories for a business. So I'm not sure a lot of our audience has really thought about it. I know I haven't thought about it from the perspective that he comes from. So just speaking about creating a narrative for a business, what that looks like, how it reverberates through the company and through the company's mission, and how a narrative shifts over time, I think is really cool. You know, when you decide to change what the narrative will look like and how it's communicated, what are the channels that it has to go through and what does that sh shift or change look like? Also, like you, I'm super great that we can discuss how Deezer is creating a more sustainable future for artists. And I'm, I'm super excited for people to hear about their new C UCPS initiative for sure. For 1,000%. So without any further ado, or actually with one quick further ado, uh, if you don't already, <laughs> be sure to check us out on Patreon. It's getting real popping in the Discord. We got some artists that, and managers that are making lots of progress, and I'm truly grateful to be part of just such a supportive community. Uh, we've got happy hours. We're able to dive into different hot takes and debates around various topics. So uh, I want to encourage you guys to check it out. I'm super grateful for all the patrons so far. So check it out at musicbusinesspodcast.com slash community. And now, actually, without further ado, Mr. Anton Gorman. Anton, how are you doing today? Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Um, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, doing good. Look forward to talking to you guys, both about UCPS and Deezer and, and whatever comes up. Likewise, man. No, very, very excited. Long time coming. Uh, for starters, just to lay some context, and I know we'll dive into a lot about Deezer and some of the really unique innovations that you're bringing to market with regards to stuff like UCPS, but even for starters, could you just speak a little bit about to uh, what exactly your role is and kind of what your day-to-day -day schedule and responsibilities look like? Absolutely. So I'm the global comms director for Deezer. Um, our HQ is in uh, Paris, France. I'm based in London. And uh, my role is very simply to both drive our reputation, so increase our visibility in media and to tell our story more than anything else, and also to support uh, the, the, you know, the, the professionals that we have in all the countries. Uh, I've been in, the, in media for about 
roughly 15 years, so my whole career. And I think what's what what I mean, I'm I'm promoting these obviously here, but what what stand what makes us stand apart in my eyes as a team is that we have some very, very strong professionals locally and we let them have a lot of, of opportunity and responsibility. So my job is to give them the tools they need to succeed. Awesome. Awesome. And then um, just as a refresher for people who may not know, what's what's Deezer's mission? And uh, what's what's the differentiating factor that you guys um, communicate to your audience? So for those who don't know, we are a global audio streaming service. Uh, we have a catalog of 56 million tracks. That's music, podcasts, radio stations. Um, I think what sets us apart is we, we're a much more human company, if you will. Uh, we're 500 people. We're all very passionate about music. And I'm sure we're not the only ones in the industry to do that. But we have a very strong editorial approach to audio streaming. So whilst we have um, a very different approach to how we do recommendation and algorithmic music, at the core of it is that we have a team of uh, roughly 50 editors who are all experts in their local music. And they create playlists for our listeners and, and, and channels and content. So it's not only you know, what an algorithm thinks, it's also there's a person there who actually loves the music and understands the local context and will create that content. And then when it comes to the automatic or algorithmic recommendation, we take an approach that it should be a lean back experience. You press one button and then you're, you, know, you should have the music that you love or you know, I should have the music that I love instead of sifting through genres and topics, et cetera, which we also have for the record. But our kind of ideology has been centered around this thing that we call flow. So it's your musical flow. It takes into account all your genres. It takes into account kind of, I mean, a lot of different things within the algorithm, uh, your favorites, things you don't like, as well as editorial recommendations, what people are listening to around you locally and then tries to present you with an experience that's constantly morphs depending on what you do. Um, so it's all of kind of everything baked in together. And when it works, it's, it's awesome. Uh, it takes a little while, I would say, of engagement from the user to get the algorithm to know you well enough. And then when you have that Deezer moment, it's super cool. That's awesome. So I, I know is, and I know the product continues to evolve. And I think even just speaking to some of those like algorithmic features and for music discovery, um, when you think about how the, the communication strategy has evolved and you're about more or less three years since working with the company, um, what have been some of the most exciting kind of like evolutions or as you've think about, I mean, when you're in the early stages, what you were focused on communicating versus what you're really leaning into now, um, what have been some of the, the most exciting changes from your perspective? I think for me, it's been an evolution of how we position, both position ourselves in the industry. And, and I mean, everybody loves an underdog and we're the kind of the, the quintessential underdog of the industry. If you take our competitors today, our main ones is Spotify, Apple, and Amazon. And we are a company of 500 people, mostly in Paris, who've built the product that, that, that competes. And, and in some cases, actually, is better. Uh, we have, you know, and I think, you know, for me, rather than just just plugging the product, the way that the story, I mean, you know, what I love is storytelling and how that all fits together and, and seeing how the story evolves, uh, you know, is, is kind of a passion, you know, a passion of mine. When I joined Deezer, we were talking a lot about 
about flow because the algorithmic discussion and the discussion about AI recommendation and so on was much, I would say, much higher on the industry agenda or, or was much a bigger part of the industry discourse than maybe it is today. And then over time, we've embraced our, our human element much, much more. The editorial, uh, the fact that you know the people who who make up these are you know recommendations and content are all you know professionals and and have a strong passion for music. So that's where you know what we talk about more or or how we kind of have adjusted our positioning. And then we've done some pretty cool things, and this is more of a you know I'm I'm a comms nerd. Simply, we've done some pretty cool <laughs> nerdy stuff at Deezer on the mm -hmm. comms side, which is not a music industry thing. Uh, right. Like our language, which taken a lot of work. Awesome. Um, can you speak more to about about what building that story kind of looks like from the perspective of a company? I think you know on, on our on our podcast we we often talk about the story and building it around an artist, um, but not necessarily a, a company or a company in the music industry. Kind of what is that process like? And if it ever changes, you kind of said the narrative has evolved. Uh, what is what is that process like, and and how does that change reverberate through the rest of the company? So I think you have to start. I mean, at, at the core, you have to, you have to start with. I mean, like everyone, you find out what what the story actually is. So it's about involving the people from all over the business. So you have to involve the product guys, you have to involve the content guys, uh, you have to involve the marketing guys. And sit down with them and understand what their priorities are and how that fits together. And then the way I've approached it is that every, and I do this every year, I build a kind of hierarchy of what's the most important thing that we want to convey for that year. And uh, once I have that in my, in my mind, then obviously then I put it down on paper and then I go and validate it with, uh, with the people in the business to make sure that mm -hmm. we're on the right track because at least in my field in communication, some of the tweaks that you will want to make will be quite subtle, but they will over time have a big difference on, on how the company is perceived. So, so, so that's how the process works. I think on the flip side of that, just and I'm not going to spend a long time on it, but the other side of it is that you also have to align what you measure then, of course, on the communication side to make sure that you know, what you do has an effect, uh, which, which is the kind of the backside of the story building. Um, I just want to say I'm not a comms nerd, but I feel like the more you talk, you just are turning me into one. I'm I'm super into your process, and uh, I just think it's awesome to hear hear uh, hear it. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Particularly like to the idea of kind of like validating some of the different comms priorities within the team. I think it's very easy for as organizations get bigger to operate in silos, and I'm definitely familiar with the idea of kind mm -hmm. of like soliciting like customer feedback and customer development with actual like end customers, which I'm sure is also somewhat informing the strategy, but to take it another, uh, to another level and actually kind of take that same approach to generating feedback and validation internally seems super valuable. Um, with that said, I mean, what are, oh, go ahead, please. Um, I think you said something interesting. So with the, you know, with the validation internally and then looking at validation from your customers. So obviously we interact with customers all the time. Uh, quite a few of us, I mean, maybe this is a Deezer thing because we're small, but quite a few of us are on Reddit, for example, as in not always, you know, formally, but, but to give you an example, our chief data officer reads the Deezer forums every day. I'm on the Deezer forums every day. Uh, when I hear what, what our customers were telling us, I pass that on to the team. And I think a lot of 
you know, a lot of the interesting things comes through in the anecdotes. You know, data is obviously important, but the anecdotes, and it was, there was in this article by Jeff Bezos a while ago where he said, when data and anecdote conflict in terms of what customers are telling me, he trusts the anecdote because that will be indicative of the experience. And that kind of has stuck with me a lot. So I think on kind of getting input and, 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 and that we, we do interact a lot. When it comes to media, I think sometimes you just have to also be patient. That's the, the biggest trick, that you build a story that has all of these different elements. And I would say it takes about two years for positioning. If you want to position a company or, you know, as something, Deezer is, I don't know, loves blueberries. From the time you've kind of realized that that is what you want to say to the time that everyone has always known that you've always loved blueberries, it's a two-year process. And what mm-hmm. happens in between often is that you have to defend the, you know, people get bored much quicker because people are, are excited and passionate, but you have to kind of defend the stability of the messaging as well uh, to get good results uh, on the communication side. Yeah, no, that's amazing. Uh, I love that. Um, I mean, it seems, and I'm curious how that potentially ties into and has informed some of the developments in comp strategy with regards to UCPS. I know this is definitely a big priority and also a very valuable innovation when it comes to um, just creating a more equitable and, and kind of like fair landscape for all the different stakeholders involved within the music industry. For starters, do you think you could just kind of set the stage and explain what UCPS is and why you created it? Absolutely. And thank you. So, UCPS stands for user-centric payment system because we're super bad at naming things. <laughs> um, but ultimately, so let, let, let's start with the audio streaming industry. And this works It works in exactly the same way for everyone today, with the exception, there, there are a few very small players. But if you look at Spotify, Apple, Amazon, us, the way it works today is that you, if you, are, if you pay for your subscription, you listen to whatever it is that you listen to that month. The way that that ultimately payments are calculated, and obviously I'm simplifying, but but ultimately is that you will take the market share of an artist across the whole platform for a given period of time. So say we take a month, the payments for January. You will take how much an artist has of all of the streams on the platform, and you will pay according to that market share. Now. What that means, ultimately, is that if you're a very, very big artist, you essentially get paid more, you know, you get paid a higher proportion of the money for that month than you have had of the listening. So there's an incremental effect that tends to benefit the biggest players. And on the flip side of that, if you're a medium-sized artist, what tends to happen is that then the people who, who you know, you are basically become disconnected in the current system from your fan base because we all kind of think, and this is what we found very consistently, what people think happens is that if I only play Leonard Cohen, which I do some months actually, that all of the money from my, you know, that I generate through my subscription will go to Leonard Cohen. And I don't mean all of the money that I pay because obviously the platform takes some, et cetera, but the licensing fee that I contribute doesn't actually go to the artists that I listen to. And that's the fundamental problem. So what we we started talking about this, I think, three, four years ago. What seems to be much more fair is that the money that you pay as a listener should support the artists that you actually enjoy. Right? And I think the irony is that everyone I speak to 
who doesn't understand the music industry in depth thinks that it's already worse that way. And they get very surprised when they realize that, that that's not actually the case. And to give you guys just an anecdote, we created this tool at Deezer where Deezer users could plug in their account and then they could see how much of the royalties that they pay go to artists that they actually listen to. And uh, looking at, at my colleagues and myself, some like a typical month for me would be that 85% of my royalties went to artists I had never played. Which sounds, I mean, it kind of stops there ultimately because it just doesn't make any sense and it shouldn't make any sense. It's as if, you know, you, what you like is Timberland, but what your money goes to is Nike. So, 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 so basically, so we started looking into this. Um, we started running the numbers um, and then seeing, you know, what the impact would be. And then uh, where we are now is that we very, very publicly championed the idea of having a user-centric approach uh, for, for uh, royalty payments. And just as the last kind of closing statement, so, so ultimately, what user-centric means is that instead of looking at the market share of an artist across the whole platform, you look at the market share of an artist in the listening of each individual user. So if you only listen to Drake, all of your money should go to Drake. We're not... We don't, we, don't, we don't care. We don't have a view on which artists should get paid. We just want to make sure that you, Sam, when you listen to music, your money goes to the artists that you enjoy. And it's that at the core. Most of the people that I would know think that South streaming services already work. Um, I think you're correct in that approach. To confirm, if I listen to um, Drake 50% of the time and I listen to Sam 50% of the time because he comes out with new music or something, and 50% of whatever I stream in terms of my paid royalties go to Sam, right? Well, they should, but they don't today. Yeah. Right. That's so, the point. Yeah, right. So um, I guess what is, what's the next step after this? What are you guys doing to, to make this, uh, I guess, more widespread? So we started, like I said, with running the numbers uh, and talking to the labels. Because, of course, mm -hmm. in order to... To implement this, we have to have the rights holders on board. We can't do it unilaterally, and no one, no one can. Mm -hmm. So we've we've provided a lot of data uh, to, you know, to rights holders so that they can analyze the impact of these and see where we're coming from. Uh, mm -hmm. We've provided some data publicly, and we've been slowly, I would say, building, you know, building the case and and kind of educating, you know, educating the media, kind of educating the people we can reach about the benefits of a user-centric approach and why why it matters mm -hmm. yeah I, I love it too because i also i mean uh people will say in passing that there's no middle class in the music industry you're either a broke starving artist or at the the top of the game and i, I think it's programs and, and systems like this that will really enable that kind of middle tier of artists that might not necessarily have this dominant market share but should be receiving a more equitable kind of compensation for the the fans that they've created and the, the community around them. And that's exactly the point. But it's also it's it's all it's also another point. The the dynamics that we have on the platform is that young people have more time and therefore stream more. Which also means that because of the market share based approach, young people basically I'll decide who gets paid by streaming mm. today. So if your fan base is say 18 to 24, very roughly, you're, you know, you're having a great time. 
problem, of course, is that everyone ages and their fan base tends to age with them. There's very few artists who, when they're 60, have a fan base of 20. I mean, to some extent, but, but most of it, which means that as a musician, you have a, you know, in the current environment, you have a diminishing return from your fans. While at the same time, if you play concerts and if you, you know, as you go through your career as a musician, you will see people who've been following you for years, who've been coming to your concerts, who've been listening to your music, whatever, every day, every year. And ultimately, a user-centric approach also means that there's a, you know, the long tail for artists becomes better. So you can actually have, you know, it's also a career planning element to this. That if you, if you're big today, if we start a band and we were super successful this year, in 10 years, no one will have remember us, except for the fans who grew up with us on our journey. And those people will probably still be listening to our music. The problem today is that it doesn't matter that you listen because we're not actually getting paid for it proportionally. So that connection is also, is also part of it. But like you say, some, what our data has indicated is that there's an adjustment at the top that tends to benefit then kind of a wider band, let's say, of, uh, of musicians. That's amazing. Um, I like it. And I'm excited to see that hopefully become the norm in the industry. I think it's a much fairer means of compensation. And I know there's a, a lot of, uh, just generally speaking, a lot of talk in the industry right now around fairness in compensation. Uh, also, like, imagine if whenever people did shows, imagine whenever people did concerts, you bought a ticket and it went to some large pot of Live Nation shows and then was paid out market share. I think people would be like, what is what? What? They'd be super confused. So why isn't it like that with streaming? You know, like I'm, I'm comparing this to to some, or, or merchandise. You know, if you if you if if a merchandise company, if an owner um, has several different clients, and then every time money comes in, it goes to one big pot of merchandise for all of their clients, and then it's split via market share. That doesn't that doesn't like make sense. You know, <laughs> doesn't make sense from the consumer side, but I could see it on the other side because. Uh, at the end of the day, they, they do just want to kind of nurture the relationships with the, the biggest cash cows right. from a kind of vendor supplier side. So uh, I can see the incentive and how the incentive of the supplier and the, the platforms, if you will, might not necessarily be directly tied to that of the consumer. So this seems very much like the, the name implies much more uh, user centric. So I like it. Right. Um, but I think also, guys, I mean, just remember that 1% off the top is more in, in much more than 1% you know, up in the middle. There's a disproportionate impact. You know, half a percent of, of uh, the top 10 is, is like three or four or five percent, you know, additional in the middle. And it goes across genres as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's exciting. So when it comes to, from your perspective, from the communication strategy, can you kind of put this into context? This, this has been, this is a very valuable innovation that Deezer has brought to market, is kind of pioneering within the industry, is trying to create a new standard within the industry. Uh, with your objective of communicating that positioning, of, of making that known within the industry and trying to evangelize it, can you speak tactically to how you've gone about doing that with regards to UCPS? I think it's, I mean, much less mysterious probably than. I would have loved to make it, but but yeah. we you know we started we started promoting the idea at that you know in the industry at the industry events. We of course talked behind closed doors as well. 
Uh, we launched a public campaign last year. Uh, so we developed a web tool, like I mentioned, to let the users have the experience, to at least show them what it means. And then we've been, we, you know, we've been talking as part of, of these are story, we've been talking to media about the user-centric approach. Mm-hmm. And I think the one thing I would just like to mention here that's important, you know, to, to, to highlight that a switch from the current system to user centric doesn't benefit Deezer financially. We pay about 70% of our rev, of our revenues directly in royalties. And that still be the case, no matter what the system is. So for us, it really is about fairness because I think, you know, you've all seen the, the eternal conversation about artist payments. Which always, guys, boils down to: Is it you know zero point one one three or is it zero point one one two for this provider? Should it right. be one cent per stream? I mean, I just saw today there's this Justice of Spotify campaign from the Union of Musicians and Allied Workers in the U.S. Right, and the first thing they lead with is 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 the payments per stream, where in fact the system isn't built around that. Yes, you can calculate it at the, at the back end, but but what actually happens? when this, the payments are, are calculated is a totally different thing. But what we're seeing, and I think this is the interesting thing, so whilst the, the media conversation was only payments per stream you know, three years ago, now it's, you know, it's more and more about actual fairness and equity in the industry. And uh, user-centric is a big part of that. Uh, so recently we had, we had artists in Germany who were you know, talking about streaming, these streaming economics, but part of the conversation was that to more and more artists, when they understand how it works, it makes sense to switch to a user-centric approach because it is more fair and it's connected to your actual performance in a much more direct way. Um, we then had the Broken Record campaign, which was a industry-led initiative in the UK, uh, which also looked at, you know, the dynamics of the, of the industry, but user-centric just naturally becomes part of the conversation. If you're looking at how people make a living from streaming, especially this year. So no one's playing any gigs, merchandising. I, you know, I'm, I don't have a direct like visi- any visibility on it, but I'm guessing it's much less as well because people will buy that at gigs. So streaming economics suddenly is a big thing, and we're seeing on a political level, we're seeing you know some very very early stages of a, kind of a growing understanding, you know, that that this is a topic that should be looked into. Of course, it's very complex, but I think for us, it's, it's been the strategy overall has been just to be, you know, both be very vocal and uh, to, to promote this as part of, of, of what we want to achieve. Very noble, too. I appreciate it. I think it's dope. Um, so when you're communicating, uh, whether that's UCPS, um, a new feature, um, or, or, or generally starting a campaign, uh, via, via comms. What are some of the core elements of a successful comm strategy? And, um, how do you end up quantifying those, uh, quantifying success, uh, when you start a campaign and when the campaign is over? I think for us is, is, it's about relevance. So, mm-hmm. you know, you, you have to, you have to, target, if you will, the media that, that will actually be interested in the story. Because people are overwhelmed by, by a bunch of, you know, by, by company information and, and other people reaching out. So it has to be relevant. I think it's important to keep it simple, um, which is just a firm belief of mine that the way that companies communicate 
hasn't evolved, at least, you know, for sure, it has barely evolved in my career, which has been the last 15 years, which means that, you know, your language and stuff like that, there, there's plenty of things that I think communicators can and should learn from, from marketing, from, from CRM, like customer engagement, to actually talk to people as if they're people, like we're not some kind of formal, we're not a bunch of 150-year-old people wearing powdered wigs. Because <laughs> ultimately, everyone is busy and everyone is lazy. And I mean that in the best possible sense. So you have to, you have to be relevant. You have to help them do their job as part mm-hmm. of your communication strategy. So, so I think within that, it's, you know, the simplicity. And then the last element is consistency. You have to, you can't be changing things all the time. You have to consistently pursue, you know, your positioning over a, an extended period of time for it to be successful. Right. And it's not that because it's because otherwise it's just going to be nothing. You know, you have to build a foundation or you build your identity. Because if you change it too much, it's not like when you're a teenager. If you try out too many things, you know, if you're a goth one day and then you're, you're a, you know, I don't know, a jock the next, people will just assume that your identity is all about trying, trying things. You're not actually communicating anything. It's the same when you build a story. And I think on the measurement side of it, um, Jordan, to follow up on that, mm-hmm. we obviously measure the coverage for everything we do. So for each individual engagement tactically, we will see what the outcomes were, both in terms of quantity and in terms of quality. Uh, we will research the relevant media to target before each engagement. So it's never random and it's never based on some kind of mass list uh, because less ultimately is more. And we've been very, very successful with that strategy over the last two years. Um, on, on the comms indicators, we've had fantastic growth. We had really good growth this year as well just based on the fact that we protect our audience, you know, sometimes from our kind of desire to tell them everything. Because ultimately, I mean, you know, what people are interested in is is kind of the things, you know, themselves and the things that they are interested in, not in what we're doing. And I think on the comm strategy side, that's another, I mean, that is a fundamental belief I have as a communicator. Like what, what most people want to know about is how, like, how is this relevant for me right now? Which means that, and, you know, if we as a company, if we talk about what we're doing, honestly, no one cares. Because every company is doing things every day and no one cares. So it has to start with, you know, with an actual human connection between what annoys you today and how that connects to that, to that issue. And then, you know, and then try to find the right people who actually have that issue rather than something else. Right. Mm-hmm. So in that same vein, I mean, trying to find the people that have the issue, you spoke to trying to create relevance uh, and find where there's the most relevance with regards to different like channels and comms partners. When you think about the different channels involved in a modern comms strategy, I know you've got some element of traditional media, there's conferences, there's digital media, there's the music business podcast. Um, what, a, like, can you think about or speak to what, from your perspective, are some of the core, uh, and most effective channels? And then how do you really go about evaluating between channels? I think, and then, you know, maybe this will be controversial. I think it's actually, I mean, everyone talks about, you know, selecting carefully. The truth is if you're doing PR, it's all about the media as a starting point. Now, where those people are, that's a different thing. Like how you approach them and how you find them. I mean, Twitter, you know, is an important tool just to, you know, to find and connect a journalist. And that, that is the case today. Obviously, you know, when I started working, 
our bosses still try to uh, try to get us to, to fax things. I mean, which 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 just sounds absolutely ridiculous today. But but ultimately, you know, things will be done. You know, things will be done on email. I think we're also we were also small enough that we can have a very direct connection to our audience. You know, even that audience are journalists and media. We we are not faceless. You know, there's not a big distribution platform that distributes things. So we we have the luxury of just you know being you know we do our research and then we reach out to people in a much more direct way with always the person behind the message. And I think that it is certainly it's a luxury. If we were you know bigger and then listed, we would have had to have a different approach. I think depending on the audience, you know you would of course adjust us. So just to give you an guys an idea, we do a lot of things in uh, dance music. Um, we have a lot of people that these are actually are super passionate about dance. Uh, we've done a lot of dance music initiatives. Um, we sponsor uh, ADE in in the Netherlands every year. Uh, we've done kind of a, a DJ mixtape project where we innovated how people again how people get paid for the music that goes into a mix, uh, which uh, you know which no one had done in that way before. And then like and, and, you know in dance music. You know the communities are very important. For example, so there, you know, we will we will try to connect to the communities. So again, you know, the forums, depending on what's relevant, you know, things like Reddit, dance music scene, again, is a complement to the tr- traditional media outreach. And then, you know, and then I think as part of your strategy, the other part of it is the relationship building that happens behind the scenes, where you, you know, you have to start that conversation. You have to find out what people actually care about, you know, in their job as a journalist, so that you don't spam them with shit that they don't care about. But, but but I think I think you know a lot of time people want to make this sound really mystical and complicated. You know, there's this strategy, this and and uh, you know selective targeting. It's I mean, it's just like with with exercise. You you have to have a very very solid foundation on the basics, which is the media outreach, relationship building, and relevance, and then to measure that, and everything else becomes kind of opportunistic at the time. Awesome. So I guess it's like a you know as we wrap this up, what are what are some next steps that you're looking forward to, um, in addition to things like UCPS um, and general features or or products that may be um, on the horizon that you can that you can speak to that you're that you're looking forward to uh, to uh, you know pushing and promoting. And obviously, you don't have to say anything that is you're not supposed to talk about. I'm not. I'm not saying like give us the tea, all stuff that you are not supposed to talk about. <laughs> so I, you know, I wanted to preference it with uh, with thing with things that you know maybe you're actively promoting right now that may not be in the full swing of their campaign. I think it's it's a very it, to be honest, it's a tricky question to answer because we constantly develop the product. I mean, mm-hmm. like 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 anyone. Um, Based on user feedback and based on what people actually want, uh, you mm-hmm. know, want from, want from, want from it, uh, we engage with people. I mean, Deezer has we have a community online, and and we take a lot of feedback from that, uh, which sometimes you know which, which guides some of our features. So, for example, one of the things, I mean, the way that Deezer has looked traditionally has been we've had a white background, so we're very different from you know the green giant and and, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, the fruit person people. It's been like a really, really nicely arranged, simple interface based on white. But our community actually mm-hmm. wants the dark mode. So then, you know, we developed the dark mode that allows you to switch between light and dark. Um, 
we recently launched a feature that allows you to switch your kind of front page to a different country. So if you want to see what's being recommended mm. to people in, uh, I don't know, Ecuador or Brazil or, or, or Belgium, you can actually just go into the service and just, just switch that. I mean, on the coming stuff, it's, it's trickier to, you know, it's, it's trickier to say. We tend to work, you know, we, we do a number of uh, kind of bigger communications campaigns around, you know, different topics, but I'm not going to tell you guys what it is because, and or when it's coming necessarily, sorry. Yeah, and no, all good. Worry, all good. Uh, there's, you know, and then always towards, the, you know, we're getting towards the end of the year. So we have the, you know, the, the top lists and then all of that stuff. So we are looking to come up with things, you know, for our users as well, uh, like everyone to make it, you know, more special. That's amazing. Well, uh, I think it's exciting to see you guys continue to push boundaries and, and innovate from the user experience, from the, the, the music and rights holder experience and the, the payment side. So, um, and then ultimately too, from the, the comm side and just making sure that you're able to effectively evangelize these different developments, bring them to market. Um, so really do appreciate you coming on, Anton, and all the work that you do. I think it's still uh, very excited to see what's in store in the, the next couple of years, besides what you were just able to share right now. <laughs> yeah. No, so look, thank you very much. It's it's really is a pleasure to do, you know, to talk to you guys and to you know to 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 just you know to share a little bit how we do things, but also, you know, the user-centric. We all are very passionate about it, not only as as part of our job because we love music. And uh I think this was a remarkably uh level description of what user-centric is because I can sometimes get a little bit carried away. <laughs> um, but look, thank you very much. It's been really a pleasure to be here. And uh, for all of you listeners, check out Deezer. You know, it works in a slightly different way once you're used to it. It's pretty cool. Amazing. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Anton. Take it easy, man. Thank you. Thank you. Yo, that was a great, great episode. Um, it's funny, you know, we said in the episode that or at least I said that I wasn't a communications nerd, but I was becoming one. I truly felt like that throughout the episode, just in terms of crafting a narrative for a business and what that process looks like and also how he does it. I think it was just super interesting and super illuminating for multiple reasons. I think you can learn from it, not only if you're a business, but if you're an artist, just the way that he thinks about communicating that vision to his audience, I think, is translatable to a lot of different spheres in music and, you know, throughout. So I'm super glad that we got him on for sure. What'd you think, Sam? Yeah, I thought it was great. I mean, Deezer's uh, fighting the good fight against a lot of incumbents and, and major companies. And I think they're able to uh, stay in there and, and set themselves up to succeed, thanks largely in part to uh, innovating on the product, innovating in their communication strategy, and just bringing a lot of very valuable products and offerings to the market. So I think uh, hearing how Anton approaches that from a communication standpoint was really, really fascinating. And, and, and genuinely, as a music fan, really excited to see how, how Deezer continues to evolve and grow in the years to come. Absolutely. So we love y'all. You, you know what it is. Another week, another episode in the bag. We'll see you next week. One love. Music Business Podcast. We out.